Digital Gonzo, episode 68, dated Thursday the 12th of April 2012, The Incredible Hulk. I've got a problem. There are aspects of my personality that I can't control. See you shrink. It's a little bit more complicated than that. Bruce, trust me when I tell you, I've heard them all. Not this one. We've never seen anything even close to your levels of exposure. That you survived an event like that, it's beyond my comprehension. I don't want to control it. I want to get rid of it. As far as I'm concerned, that man's whole body is property of the U.S. Army. They want it as a weapon. If we let it go, we will never get it back. one thing that can fight that it's in me maybe if i can control it i can use it This is the second part of the five official Marvel superhero movie reviews leading up to The Avengers. This week we're talking about the requel, The Incredible Hulk. See what I did there with the words reboot and sequel? I was going to say, what the heck's a requel? It's, it's where they basically say, you know that Ang Lee thing from 2003? Well, that's kind of a parallel universe story uh, detailing a different origin of the Incredible Hulk, but we kind of really need to start up the proper Marvel Hulk now. And so it's wacky. We like what you did, Ang, but uh, let's just, can everyone just forget that? Okay, moving on. The Incredible Hulk. <laughs> that's kind of what this is. Rejoining me on the Helicarrier, Gonzo Planet's Jerome McIntosh and Paul Gibson. Hello. And from Game Burst and KDS 2.0, Neil Taylor. Hello. Okay, I've got some key talking points on The Incredible Hulk for us to cover in turn, and we will start with... I was going to start with Hulk in comics, but let's briefly touch on Ang Lee's Hulk, because it's kind of a big thing. Do we have to? We have to. Because unlike Iron Man, um, The Incredible Hulk's actually been in lots of media previously. He had a cartoon show in the 60s. concrete bunker, scientists await the G-bomb's first awesome test. Dr. Bruce Banner, whose genius created the bomb, awaits the final moment as a fellow scientist angrily argues. It's too dangerous. You should have revealed the secret of the gamma ray to us. Quiet, Igor. Hello, General Ross. Why the delay? What are you waiting for? Are you testing that bomb or not? Precautions must be taken. We're tampering with powerful forces. Don't lecture me, Banner. Just speed it up. With me in charge, instead of a milksop like you, this test would be over by now. Oh, Daddy, don't be so unfair. I'm sure he knows what he's doing. 
Keep out of this, Betty. It's man talk. Good Lord. It's a teenager heading into the test area. Igor, hold the countdown. You, get out of there. Cool it, man. It's a free country, right? Quick, you fool, into the protective trench before the bomb goes off. There. You're safe. Just like Iron Man, but unlike Iron Man, he had a very popular 80s live-action TV show starring Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrino as Bruce Banner. Sorry, David Banner, because they thought the name Bruce was gay, and, the, and Lou Ferrino was the Hulk. Yeah, that, that's, actually, that's, that's actually their reasoning. <laughs> Seriously, anyone named Bruce, Bruce Willis, Bruce Forsyth, you're gay, no, apparently. No, let's not call him Bruce, that's gay. That sounds gay. True <laughs> <laughs> <Your> story. <laughs> There is a little tiny reference to that at the very end of this, um, where um, Brucey, uh, Brucey uh, signs his letter, or has his letter addressed to him to David Banner, you know, because no one's going to crack that code. Well, isn't, if I remember correctly, isn't Hulk's voice also Lou Ferrino in this? It is, it is. That's, and Lou uh, is in the movie as well. Yes, Lou is, is uh, playing a security guard again, because he also plays a security guard in Angley's Hulk. And uh, Bill Bixby's there as well. He is. I've got a thing on cameos, but let's do them now, shall we? Um, yeah, Lou Ferrino plays a security guard. He was also in uh, Ang Lee's Hulk as a security guard, so it's possible he's the same security guard in both universes. And yeah, Bill Bixby, um, h- how is he cameoing? Um, it's when Banner's sat flicking through channels on the TV. Yes. And there's an old other show that he was in comes up in the It's called channels. The Courtship of Eddie's Father. Yes. So, yeah, it's a cameo from who is sadly passed on now, uh, Bill Bixby. It's a nice way of getting him in there as a little nod. Uh, Stan the Man Lee makes his customary Marvel show up as... The, the dude who drinks the drinks poisonous the juice. <laughs> now, I was hoping for, at some point by the end of this, Stan Lee just barging down the street all hulked out going, <laughs> Stan wants more soda! I just got a message from uh, <laughs> Leah Haydu saying that apart from my Stan Lee voice, the Iron Man show was great, so I'm going to make sure I do my Stan Lee voice every episode just to annoy her. Y- you are literally like Mark Kermode. Don't do impressions. <laughs> okay. Uh, Paul Souls is Stanley the pizza guy. Uh, now, this is a very obscure cameo. He played the voice of Hulk in the 1966 TV show. Uh, so he's uh, he's the, the old friend of Betty and uh, Bruce at the university who was the pizza shop. Angley's Hulk. Very nicely deflected, but we're going back to it. <laughs> I don't know if we're ever going to do a Gonzo on this. I kind of want to do the other Marvel films, but this is a bloated film, really. And, and some of it's good, but some of it's so boring or upsetting. I mean, it's not a turd of a film. I mean, there have been worse Marvel films, like Elektra. But, yeah, uh, Neil, you can't even sit through this, can you? I, I, I sat through it all once, and I love... You know how I like bad movies. Even I struggle to get through this one because I either get bored or fed up or just go, no, I can't. This, this, I find very little enjoyable about that movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mark Kermode actually said that Hulk looks like Shrek in that movie. Well, it doesn't help that Hulk is a bit... They don't seem to define a size for Hulk in that movie, if I remember no, correctly. All over the shop. 
At least they uh, do a slightly better job here. Yeah, he's definitely too big. They actually make a point of that in a doc I just watched. Uh, that uh, specifically when Hulk busts out in the uh, the base, he's like twenty feet tall, and his his arms are three times thicker than a man. This kind of there's a disconnect there. He becomes no longer a really really big man or uh, uh, you know a monstrous man. He becomes simply a, an enormous giant and and something that we can't really. Which I, I suppose is an aspect of him, and he, he's up and down in the comics, but. You need to kind of start off with a Hulk that is uh, a comparable size to a human, just nine feet tall. I think Jerome probably helped me out here, but I think he's been pretty standard in the comic for a long time now. He doesn't really... He doesn't change his size. It's just, if I remember correctly, uh, the angrier he gets, the more unstoppable he gets. It's more the intensity of his rage rather than the changing of his size. See, because he seems absolutely furious in this, so it's difficult to tell... How anger... I mean, in terms of anger, he's at 10 here. So when, when, when does he go to 11? Here's the interesting thing. Ang Lee's Hulk cost $137 million and made $245 million. That's That's pretty successful, mm. I'd say. It's not like it lost huge amounts of money. In fact, it, it made huge amounts of money. People didn't like it, but since when has that stopped Hollywood? Very true. <laughs> uh, the uh, thing you have to take into account, I think, sometimes with the comic book movies, they have to take the fan reaction into account because that's what they they bank on the fan re- fans coming to see the movie mm-hmm. to, to sort of get the budget, and then it's then they bank on the rest to pull in the extra. I think that's usually how it goes with these movies. It's not normal accounting in Hollywood. Let's put it that way. Well, they did make a big deal out of this film when it was first being sort of pitched, when the Super Bowl spot came out, and they were actually hiding the Hulk's face. If you remember, most of the promotional stuff, he was holding up his big hand, so you couldn't really see his face. And it's like, you know, watch the film and you'll finally get to see Hulk. Actually, you know, I think one of the weakest links in that film is um, Nick Nolte. He's rubbish in that film. He, he just overacts so abominably. Or he's, never, he's never uh, been he's, a subtle actor, though, has he, really? No, that's <laughs> true. Yeah, He was good in The Thin Red Line, Down and Out in Beverly Hills. 48 hours. <laughs> okay, so he has been good, but he's rubbish in this. And that's, he's up against Eric Banner, who's a really good actor, but he just seemed to be a little bit wishy-washy as Banner. I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about Hulk. I think we're going to talk about Hulk at some point. I think we're going to do a Gonzo on it. I sense it. But it'll probably be in a medley with, with various other... You know, you see, uh, I think if you're going to do the other mob ones, you have to do Nick Fury, Agent of Shield, because then you will uh, really get a feeling for bad or movies. Or the old Captain America one, Matt Salinger. That's well, I think on that note, we're going to have to classify these as different generations of Marvel films, just just, just to make it a bit easier for us to to get a, a bead on them. Uh, everything that was made before 1998's Blade, we'll, sh- we'll call a first gen Marvel title. Um, so basically, the Punisher, Matt, you know, the Captain America, Nick Fury of Shield, Generation X, and everything that they sort of like threw out there. Uh, can I just say congratulations on doing that one right? Everyone seems to think it was the X Men that started it. Yeah, it was really it was Blade's dark no. tone that started mm-hmm. it. Or? Totally Blade. He was a, a, a like a C list Marvel character, and they just gave a soft start with that one. And uh, yeah, Blade was actually really good in comparison to a lot of a lot of the other second generation Marvel uh, films. The yeah, Fantastic Devil. Four ones, I think. Fantastic Four, I think, was probably the biggest sort of falling on their face because it wasn't yeah. like the films were really bad; they're just boring. There was a Roger Corman version of Fantastic Four as well that was first gen. Yes, and it's, so uh, you can find it if you know where to look. Yeah, I don't it, think it was, was ever actually released. 
that was just made so that they could have one for licensing purposes to make sure that they'd still retain the license to produce it. Oh, yeah. Because if they don't do anything with the license, they lose it, don't they? Yeah, it's terrible. And Um, Spider-Man reboot. So now we have the third gen, effectively. All the Marvel films, the officially produced ones leading up to the Avengers, and then the alternate universes of Amazing Spider-Man, the Spider-Man reboot, and uh, the X-Men universe, which is still going strong. You know, the only existing thread of the second gen films that's still basically soldiering on. Yeah, but they have to thank, seriously thank First Class for that. If if First Class had tanked, uh, we would not be seeing another one. Although we do have... We'll get a reboot at some point. Somehow, I don't know... I mean, don't get me wrong, I like the X-Men, I like Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, but Origins is awful, and somehow it's getting a sequel. Uh, Ori- Origins? I don't think I've ever heard of that movie. As in X-Men Origins colon Wolverine? Doesn't, the one. doesn't exist. <laughs> I just, I, I've wiped X3 and Origins from my mind. See, see what I mean? Ang Lee's, Hulk's, Ang Lee's Hulk, for all of its boring faults, isn't fucking boneheaded. Exactly. But some of those, like X-Men 3, really is stupid. So, yeah, it could have been worse. Uh, so, yeah, we're, we're in third gen, which involves several different timelines, and I really wish they'd all unify, but, you know, we've got to wait until Marvel becomes powerful enough to draw Spider-Man and X-Men back to the fold. Oh, trust me, the moment they can, those franchises will be back. I know Blade's reverted to Marvel now as well, oh, so... Cool. I would like to see another Blade, but not with Wesley Snipes. You know, you've got to start with someone. I actually, tell you what, it's, it's, I know it's a tangent, but I would like to say, I think Idris Elba would be quite a good Blade. Yes, he would. Some motherfuckers are always trying to ice skate up here. Right, so, Hulk in comics. I'm going to defer to you guys on this. I never read any Incredible Hulk comics. I think Jerome's... Uh, the, I've only read a few Hulk stuff. I've read World War Hulk, which I enjoyed, and I read part of uh, Planet Hulk, which is sort of the precursor to it. Yeah. That's, those are the two that I've mainly read, like, full over. The rest, it's more of me dipping in and out. Like, when, he, when Civil War was going on, I was sort of following the Hulk as well, but... I'm quite well versed on Planet Hulk and World War Hulk, mainly. I actually want to say one thing that's interesting. Uh, I don't know if I, I can't. I don't think Ang Lee did this, and I know they didn't do it in this one. We didn't get Grey Hulk first. Mm. No, they, they, they were planning. Cool. That was originally going to be the sequel to the the Ang Lee one was going to involve Grey Hulk. Oh. That's pretty much the only Hulk comic I've read, other than the two that have been mentioned as well. Oh, do you mean the Jeff Loeb reboot? Yes, the Hulk Grey. Which this takes some stuff from, if I remember. Yeah, yeah. yeah. was a big fan of that one. He, he uh, ate many of the storyboards or uh, co- uh, copied wholesale into this. Yeah, I'm fairly sure a lot of the stuff in the cave scene. Yeah. yeah. So I'm fairly sure a lot of that's from that, but it was a long time ago. Mm. I also kind of miss Hulk talking, because in mm. World War Hulk, Hulk does talk, and he's not... Yeah. He's not... You know how he's usually portrayed as Hulk smash, not yeah. sounding very intelligent... Oh, he is. In fact, he's pretty damn smart and scary in World War Hulk. Yeah, he he varies in intelligence as well as size. It depends how much of the beast is taken over and how much of Banner's in there. And sometimes... Well, it's it's more of how much Banner accepts Hulk, because the more Banner rejects him, the more of a beast Hulk is. Whereas, like in World War Hulk and Planet Hulk, they've sort of come to a type of understanding... Mm. I, I don't, you've watched um, Avengers Earth Mightiest Heroes then yes and I go on and on about it every <laughs> it's that sort of thing where Banner's oh. sort of in the background mm. he's supporting what Hulk's doing so the Hulk is in a better mindset 
So he's basically figured out that ultimately to get the thing that's done, he's got mm. to sort of let help drive, but just sort of, you know, be there in the background giving him advice. Mm. Yeah, and then there is, of course, the Grey Hulk uh, incarnation is more of a sort of cunning, nasty uh, kind of uh, Hulk, and, and it, you know, can be genuinely unpleasant. And it's, there has been many, many different incarnations, and so few of them are really widely known to the public. This film, they've focused on the Hulk that everyone remembers, and, and they've really focused on the TV Bill Bixby version. Because comics are so have got so much, you know, they're a big tangled ball of this, that, and the other of storylines. Yeah. You have it's to have read this or that specifically. Well, it's like, yeah. I take back what I said about Thor. I think Hulk is probably the hardest Marvel character to do well. Ah. Well, so, tell you what, let's talk about The Incredible Hulk then, the 2008 film. It's a recall in terms of that they, they now expect that everyone out there in movie land now knows roughly how Hulk came into being, if you didn't already know. They retcon the, the, the way that that happened and make it much more about Bruce is now part of the super soldier program, an experimental division who are trying to work out how to make people bigger, faster, stronger, and all the other stuff that Daft Punk talk about. They say, maybe mention, oh, this thing's been, you know, this program's been in storage, you know, poor nice for ages. Why? Because they only ever made one. Well, yeah, if you go in, the, the Thunderbolt Ross, this is jumping forward in the film a little bit, gets that blue stuff. That's the stuff they inject into Captain America in a couple of years' time. There's a bit more to it than that as well. Oh, yeah. Um, on the tank, when he pulls the thing out, there's a plate on it. Yes. It's got the usual Stark Technologies logo and all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. It also says Weapon Plus. Yep. Which, in I think it was in the Grant Morrison X-Men comics... Yeah. Mm -hmm. started with Captain America went through Wolverine and carried on after that it was, Captain America was Weapon Zero right weapon so Wolverine was Weapon 10 and then there's um, various other ones a lot of yeah. things have branched out from the Super Soldier um, program everybody's yeah. trying to recreate it in their own certain way and that's where a lot of the characters have come from the the guy the nameplate on uh, the serum actually gives somebody's name I forgot what the name is because I checked it uh, against um, the name of Stanley Tucci's character in Captain America. It's his, an name alias is, uh, his name is his name is Erskine. Oh, is it an alias? Yeah, I've read that somewhere a minute ago. <laughs> All right. Um, okay, so yeah, they do the credit his character yeah. with it. Yeah, Reinstein. Reinstein. Apparently. Right, so yeah, then, uh, and I said this to uh, to my daughter while we were watching it, they're going to turn Emile into Captain America, sort of. And she got really quite stressed out because she went, he's not Captain America, and they're injecting him in the spine. So I was really excited to, to interview Ang Lee about the Hulk, and because um, he'd made the film, but when, when I interviewed, I try and make a little joke to put them at ease, you know, so I rang him up, he was in New York, I was in uh, London, and I said to him, Ang Lee, you have directed the Hulk film. You must be very excited and proud. But 
don't make me angry. <laughs> you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. <laughs> then there was a long, embarrassed pause, and then Angley said, I'm sorry, what did you say? <laughs> and I said, I said, Angley, you have you've directed the Hulk film. You must be very excited and proud. But um, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. And there was another kind of silence, and then Angley said, I'm sorry, can you repeat that? Uh, anyway, so let's just go back to the uh, beginning again. At the end of uh, Ang Angley's Hulk, don't make me Angley, um, he ends up in Brazil, or South America, and in this, he starts off in Brazil, so that's the only real correlation. It's kind of like that in both universes, uh, Bruce would gravitate towards this spot to try to escape and evade the government, trying to catch him. Well, it makes the most logical. It almost makes the most logical sense. I think where he ends up at the end of the movie makes more sense for him. But you know, he's out of the country, so he thinks he's he's relatively safe so long as he stays off the grid. Hence, mm. why um, when he's fixing the, the conveyor belt for the guy who owns the factory, the guy says to him, you, "You're far too smart to be a day laborer. Let me put you on the payroll." And he he turns it down. Mm. Yeah. Immediately we get Ed Norton uh, as opposed to... Uh, it's difficult not to compare this to Ang Lee's Hulk because when watching it, you, you, your mind starts to make comparisons. You get Ed Norton, who has, is used to being uh, a man playing split personalities. It's a fact of reference, I guess. Yes, <laughs> and Primal Fear as well. So yeah, and, and Ed Norton actually came in and did a lot of rewrites for the uh, script. There was some kerfuffle about how much he did in terms of rewriting and, and how much... <laughs> Yeah, hence once again why it's Mark Ruffalo in the yeah. Avengers. I, I, Edward Norton is a very demanding sort of act. Not in a bad way when I say demanding, but he he he's like um oh bugger I forgot the guy the name of the guy who played Val Green Kilmer. Green uh, Green Goblin as well William Defoe. Oh, William he's Defoe, also, yes. he's like that. He's very perfectionist. He's about getting it right. And that's what Norton's like. I, I, I can't remember if this is true or not. The, isn't, didn't he originally want to... Isn't, wasn't the movie meant to start with him going into the Arctic and shooting himself? Yeah. yeah. Have you seen the alternate beginning for this? No, I haven't. I only it's watched It's literally the that. Uh, it's, um, it's worth watching on YouTube if you guys haven't seen it, or uh, on DVD if you've already got the DVD. They, um, it starts off with Norton going to the Arctic, get the gun... And as you say, shooting himself, but he starts to hulk out immediately because it's it's too stressful a situation. And then it just cuts to a well, a, a point of view shot of his him going all green fisted and smashing the gun to pieces. And then it, a, a wide shot of the giant ice floe he's on, and he smashes it to bits. And then if you pause it, just the right moment, you can actually see Captain America and his shield in the ice as it's breaking apart it's just on the bottom left of the screen and that was originally going to be how Cap got brought back into the world 
they decided against it because it was way too dark for that as a beginning. The overarching story in this is Banner trying to control the Hulk. A really good little um, device they add is the uh, heart rate monitor. Mm-hmm. It's a great way of, of, of showing that you know it's, it, it changes imminently. He must stay you know bolted down, and it's it's very artfully used. They don't overuse it, but it's used about three times in the film before he becomes the Hulk, and it's a really good way of. Uh, just getting that he can't become excited. But also just how many things can get him excited and how many situations he can get into where his heart rate starts to go up, like the stalled love scene with him and Betty, just indicating how close people would get to hulking out, just going through regular, everyday confrontations or stresses, or even just interaction. The heart rate monitor is just a really simple narrative device used to great effect to highlight Bruce's predicament. Well, not just that, it's like in the montage at the start in in Brazil, you see Mm. him, I'm not sure what training he's undergoing, but he's learning to control his emotions and his breath with the guy who does the really creepy thing with his stomach muscles yeah mm, it's, I think that guy's uh, uh, trained in jiu-jitsu and capoeira it's, this one's much more about Bruce trying to uh, focus and control himself and the, you know the end the whole point is that he's trying to aim the Hulk I, I like the way he describes it as, as like having a, t- a jug of acid poured into his brain and that he's there but it's just so chaotic that he can't really make out what's going on the secret and the key for this Incredible Hulk film was to try to make Bruce as compelling and interesting as the Hulk so that you weren't just ticking over waiting for the Hulk to turn up. Now, I really liked uh, this new angle. and I, I really like the tension. and the, It also takes a lot of cues from the Bourne identity. There's, even the music uh, you know, goes very kind of... Pacing, you know, you feel that Bruce is on the run. So when the team comes to actually take him out, and, and he goes, you know, he goes off on a, a parkour trip through Favala, and it, it it feels like he's like an under-trained Jason Bourne on the run. Because you got to remember, he's been running for like five years, so he's obviously picked up a few tricks of getting out of the situation. And you get that he's um, he's trying to be hyper responsible and not turn into the Hulk because he knows that only bad things are going to happen if it if it goes on. And he also has a bit of luck, I suppose, with his escape as well. Mm. But it's still that is a really incredible scene. Although I do admit, and I apologise for saying this, but part of me went, "Oh God, I'm having Modern Warfare 2 flashbacks." It did feel a bit like that. Didn't yeah. It? But again, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's this film is very well calculated to deliver to people exactly what they want, just the right amount of pacing, just the right amount of fun, just the right amount of smashing, and just the right amount of Hulk ultimately. Because they could have overdone it, and they make him kind of the cherry on top of each uh, act of the film. Oh yeah, and I also think, and I can't remember the actor's name, the British actor that they've got who ends up becoming Abomination, Tim Roth. Tim Roth. He is fantastic. I love him in this movie. Although, he here's a glutton of punishment, because the bit when Hulk kicks him, I laugh every time. <laughs> you know you got. This is Hulk! <laughs> <laughs> 
There's a bit just before that when uh, Ross uh, looks at him and goes, my God, he's doing it. And like, doing what? <laughs> doing backflips and shooting Hulk. He's not dead yet. That's all he's doing. That's what makes me laugh. Eh? And so they've obviously encountered Hulk several times. Well, well, at least once before in that. And they must have encountered him before the, we see the events of the movie. Have they not learned that the bullets and tranquilizers just seem to be Don't bouncing off him? I don't know if they've actually really genuinely encountered, uh, no, tried to take him down with military force before. When Ross sends the team in at the start, he's telling them to use the tranquilizers and stuff on banner, not to yeah. use live ammo and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Doesn't actually tell them about Hulk. Yeah. I think the situation is whenever Banner's Hulk out on them, he's literally just jumped away. It's literally at the sort of maybe last moment when he's in the corner. He's gotten away at the last minute, so they've never actually engaged him in a full combat. It doesn't seem like the Hulk is a national phenomenon yet. No one knows about him. They managed to keep him under wraps, a combination of Ross and Banner himself. Yeah, I don't know how they're going to play that up in the Avengers after the end of this movie. Ross is an interesting character because when he starts off, you see him, you know, his his obvious uh, resentment and fear of uh, Banner in that, you know, what he could end up doing to his daughter. And you, you can relate to that. Any father can relate to that. Any Any person who's got a relation that they care about can relate to that. However... When he starts going on about that Bruce's body is effectively property of the US government and he's a weapon, and then he, you know, when he finally catches him, he's like, if you've taken him away from me, when it comes down to it, he just wants the Hulk. It's not about Betty, he just wants the Hulk. Yeah. The word you're looking for is he's a complete and utter bastard. He is. He's yeah. a complete git. And he, he ends up getting drunk at the end because he, he he's like, oh, can't get the Hulk, I'm just never going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, no pity for General Ross. He is a total ass. He's never been a sympathetic character, though. He's not no. meant to be. He is. He is. He's not the villain. He's the antagonist. He's the one that's just forever driving it. Every time you know Banner's close to either curing himself or the Hulk, it's usually something to do with Ross that will force the situation and force it to be the fact mm. that yeah, it doesn't happen. Mm. So he's he's key to the Hulk story, basically. He, he is a villain, but he's more more of the antagonist the driving force behind a lot of it yeah you do have like the abomination and um, many other Hulk villains that I'm spacing on especially considering we got the setup to one in this movie and I still can't remember which one it's meant to be the leader the leader, the leader. Yeah. yeah, no, um, Dr. Stearns, the uh, Mr. Blue guy, when he gets his head goes all wibbly. And it's, it's interesting because it seems like um, his p- performance, is he's actually been hanging around some, some genuine scientists and technicians and he's picked up little idiosyncrasies of them. And he genuinely seems like a smart guy, yeah. but he just makes these terrible oversights that a regular person with, with you know, a bit more down to earth and able to see the small picture would go, well, wait a second. Yeah, he doesn't, he, he, he doesn't even like panic about, oh, Banner's turning into the Hulk. He's just fascinated by this it. This is brilliant. Yeah, he's he's the type of scientist where his curiosity is way overweighs his um, caution. And Blonsky in the original stories was, uh, you know, like many of the villains in the sixties, uh, Soviet in nature. The Abomination was uh, was one of Russia's uh, super soldier type program things, and they sort of switched that around a bit for uh, for him here. He's uh, well, with a nod to the original, because if you listen to what uh, Ross has told about Blonsky, that he was born in Russia but grew ah. up in England. Yeah. So that's okay then. But uh, yeah, the Crimson Dynamo and the Iron Man villain, combined with Whiplash, who is later known as Blacklash, 
to make the Whiplash character in Iron Man 2. We're talking about next week. One of Wolverine's enemies is from Russia. I'm blanking on the name. Omega, Omega Red. Red. Omega Red, yeah. All of these pale in comparison to the Batman version, which is the KG Beast. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> I've forgotten about him. Yeah, well... It just Russia does prove that Batman him. does have some crap villains as well. He does. He will not be in the next Nolan Batman film. Yeah, so, yeah, the Russians are slightly less of a threat these days, and uh, they make their uh, villains a bit more sort of worldwide. Yeah, but at least the way they did it with the Abomination in this movie, it, it, it's, it's still believable. Mm. It, you know, it, it's that obsession that drives him and consumes him to become the Abomination in the end, which I, I think really worked for this movie. And Tim Roth is criminally underrated sometimes as an actor yeah he's good I like the fact that his, his angle on this is a, is a soldier who's just getting a little bit past his best mm. and uh, it, you know starting to, to panic a little bit and, and so he, he does become obsessed and he, in, he ends up like a crackhead basically yeah um, he ends up like you know just whatever will make me stronger and more powerful so as the abomination um, when he has attained this incredible power he needs to prove it and he needs to take down the Hulk to, to do so He's exactly the type of person that um, would not have been chosen for the Super Soldier program back yeah. in Captain America's day. Because he's a veteran um, soldier who's all about the battle. He wants to prove himself a bit too much. And yeah, actually just 20 minutes with a psychi- psychiatrist would actually have unveiled that. So, yeah. uh, But Ross was kind of desperate and they needed something in a hurry. So uh, yeah, they slapped him together and hoped for the best. And he does do that little sort of running bit where he's running super fast, and it's a little bit like Superman, the original <laughs> Donna version. And luckily they keep that down to a minimum, but, uh, but yeah, he is a poor man's Captain America. hulks out properly in daylight for the first time and busts through the window and uh, and then just tears around the university I mean you've got to remember General Ross he's supposed to be this tactical general but he's essentially he's gone to a public education facility and he's inciting a, a Hulk episode in the middle of a campus doesn't bother evacuating anybody he's just setting this up in the middle of the broad daylight for everybody to see. Yeah, it doesn't really come across that he's a tactical genius, does it? Yeah. I mean, especially up to this point, the first time we encounter, well, we sort of get the hook out, it's all very well, it's incredibly well done, in fact, it's all hidden in shadows, and it's you mm. don't really get much of a clear look at him, which is really clever. Mm. And then you sort of get this broad daylight one, and it's like, good job covering this bugger up. 
Yeah. <laughs> There's no hope in hell. And they've got kids filming it on their video phones as well. And it's, it does have that slightly raw, shaky, um, something's gone wrong at an airfare thing going yeah. on. Okay, Neil, I feel like you want to vent about this film a little bit more. But, so before we go into it, what's up? I, I, look, this to me, after going back and I've gone you know, through and watched all the movies now, this to me is the weakest of the lot, the whole lot to me. The story's good, but where it falls down is the over-reliance on the... I think the trouble with Hulk is they've decided that he needs to be CG. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem because the CG can date very quickly if you're not careful and my other concern is I freaking hate Liv Tyler in this movie I'm sorry she does she has one sort of acting range which is be very breathy which works fine in Lord (laughs) it it works fine in Lord of the Rings when she's a freaking elf but it's just annoying and she's either you know being breathy or she's screeching and I just don't think she was that good a choice this one came after Iron Man you know so Literally weeks after Iron Man. Yeah, so I don't think they whether or not they had the plan together just then to have that the universes connect and stuff. But you can tell this is the weaker movie because where Iron Man had the fantastic dialogue that just popped and zipped along and kept you going. To me, the dialogue between you know Banner and Betty was just a little bit crap. I think that you know the, the character interactions are the weakest part of this movie. It has some fantastic moments, but it becomes a I just don't think a CG Hulk is always going to make the Hulk movies quite weak. Do you think they're ever going to go for um, a Luferino guy? Or I, I don't mean, know. You that compare is... it to the closest things you can really compare it to are the Thing in the Fantastic Four and uh, Hellboy in terms of getting a big guy in Which, prosthetics. And both of those do work quite well, but they've also got fantastic actors behind the makeup. Because the guy that was playing the thing and I Michael Chiklis. He was he was in the shield. You know, he's a damn fine actor. You've got Ron Perlman who bounces around but he's usually very interesting to watch in the club, in his movies. And he makes he's a fantastic very good acting behind prosthetics as well. Yeah, and he is a flipping awesome hellboy. Interesting link there. Doug Jones, uh, who uh, played Abe Sapien in that, again, very good at working uh, through um, prosthetics, very good physical actor. He was uh, the fawn in Pan's Labyrinth, was the body of the Silver Surfer in Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer. And again, he really sold that character and Lawrence Fishburne doing the voice. So there's a slight disconnect there. Again, like I said, I don't, I don't hate this movie, but you know, this is probably the one I'd choose to watch last the story's fine it's a good enjoyable story but like i said i think it's just and this is why the hulk is probably harder than thor because with thor you just have to accept okay there's magic mm-hmm. sort of with this you've got to you've got to believe the hulk um don't believe he, the hulk he's cg he's a cartoon and that's the problem mm. especially the cg in this isn't dated which is quite quite an achievement but it's not that old but it will always be a problem. You've got to make the Hulk believable. Is he CG in the Avengers? Yes. Right. Uh, does anyone have a counterpoint on this? <laughs> Not really. Um, yeah. I have I, to say, I do agree with most of that. Becky I mean, does uh, annoy me a bit. To be honest. The only thing I wonder is, is it because I grew up watching the TV show? Where it was Luferino being yeah. the... And that, that always felt believable, because... He didn't turn into a huge, a ridiculously sized giant like he does in this. He's just a really big, 
flipping muscular dude that's super strong and that seems to be I don't know, maybe it's just a thing in my brain that just goes that's a, I can accept that that makes sense right like I said I think it's just until until they figure out a really good way because the reliance on CG yes you can use CG to do the fantastic but when it's combined with the practical like in Iron Man a lot of the time it works better so I wonder if you could sort of get a bigger guy to be the sort of Hulk which this is why I said there won't be a She-Hulk movie because she'd have to be CGI or a CG, or one of those bodybuilder females who <laughs> Uh, okay, right. I'm going to present a counterpoint. I believe every step of the way in this Hulk. Didn't feel the uh, the Ang Lee Hulk so much. I, uh, him bounding around in the desert was actually quite beautiful to watch. The whole Hulk's, you know, finding some sort of peace on his own and then fighting helicopters and tanks. It's kind of interesting, but ultimately there was there wasn't the sense of scale there because they didn't actually move it into the city, and that's why they specifically shot it in New York at the at the end here. But I absolutely do believe in the Hulk in this. I think it's well applied CGI. They've paid real attention to the texture and the muscles and the skin and the veins and the eyes. And they've got Ed Norton doing facial capture beyond the, the standard um, performance capture, multiple dots all over the face. They're now going to the sort of the, it's like um, a paint that they put on the faces well, to add hundreds of thousands of dots, which they, they did in the Harry Potter transformation scenes at the end of Deathly Hallows, beginning of Deathly Hallows. Have you seen the picture of Hulk from Avengers? They've really stepped it up. It, look, right. it literally looks like Mark Ruffalo now. Oh. really closely to Mark Ruffalo's face uh, again I just think it's, this is it's not particularly a problem with the movie it's just the choice of using CG to do the Hulk because mm. he's a fantastic in essence he is a fantastical creature and you're always going to have to have that suspension of disbelief and yes he moves fantastically and he, you know and the de- uh, the attention to detail is fantastic but he, that part of your brain is always going to go CG he's not uh- there May I interject and say that part of your brain? My will brain. Go CG because you really you have definitely shown a dislike of CG over the years. If I know anything about you, it's that if if, if they can go practical, you will totally be thumbs up behind. No, it. actually, um, Mission Impossible Three uses CG <laughs> in a really good way. And I don't that? that. Um, the scene on the bridge, the water is CGI. Oh, so okay. I tend to just prefer when they strike a really good balance between the two. Right. I think over reliance on CG is a problem. And hey, I liked Avatar. Okay, but okay. So the 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 way the Hulk is applied on screen here, and just the fact that they spend so much time with Bruce, and you actually, I at least, I don't think I, I don't think I really liked him, but I, at least I related to his plight. I related to the fact that he wanted to contain the Hulk and he wanted to control the Hulk. And he's a, he's a little bit too wimpy and a little bit too oh please no. Yeah, I actually had this discussion because Shona watched it with me and she pointed out a good fact. Is he like that because Norton's portraying him as trying to constantly be in control? Yeah. And I think that's what Norton was going for and that's why he probably comes off as a little bit wimpy and a little bit I don't know. I, I almost said disinterested, but it's not quite right. Mm. But I think he is. He, he, I think that's what he's going for. He's going. I always have to be in control. I'm always, you know, if you watch him, he's always either breathing, he's always checking his pulse or something. He's always making yeah. sure he's in control. 
But do bear in mind as well that Banner has never been the most likable of Marvel characters. I mean, that's that's always been Peter or uh, Tony. Not not even Tony. <laughs> Tony uh, is that, not likable. Tony sometimes. is not likable. You, you can like the way he behaves sometimes because it's ape- appealing and amusing, but he's not likable, likable. Okay, so it's Peter. You, you like Parker because he's the underdog. But Banner has always been a bit of a... He, he's been separate from humanity. He's a scientist. He's the loner. He's out there. And I definitely feel that with this Banner more so even than the Don't Make Me Angry banner. And the Hulk in this is a force of nature. And when he starts busting up the Humvees and the military equipment and, and kicking things around and starts weaponizing, you notice when he sort of picks yeah, up those giant shield. shards of metal and uses them as shields and like gets two half cars and turns them into metal boxing gloves. It's a really great new ways of actually giving the Hulk interesting things to do. But when he's up against Blonsky at the end, and, and it's two enormous forces of nature clashing in the Big Apple. It just, that made me feel more than, really more than any of the other four Marvel official movies. This has tapped into the core of what most Marvel books were about between the 60s to the 90s. The big ruck in New York Manhattan between titans. Yeah, yeah, seriously, if you live in the Marvel Universe, why the hell do you <laughs> live, live in Manhattan? <laughs> Stay away from big cities. If you're, if you're super, that's great, but you're in the one percent of the population who is super. Everyone else just gets their homes trashed. But yeah, so when it, they're having a proper ruck and it, they're pounding each other, that's the sort of stuff they couldn't actually have done well, even up to ten years ago. That's not enough to make it that fantastic a film. And I don't think it's that fantastic a film. I'd give this a solid four stars. By no means my favourite of the five. I'd say it still ranks above Captain America, though. I like Cap more, sorry. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, you, I think that is personal preference. I, I freaking love Cap. We'll talk about that in two weeks. But yeah. I mean, uh, here's another thing. I've never really liked Hulk all that much. I've, they've explored him in different ways as a Jekyll and Hyde figure, as a King Kong figure, man's primal nature. But it's difficult to really keep it going in the comics on a track because I think ultimately at the end of it, Bruce would just go, this is just too much. Could someone please shoot me into the center of the sun and just have it over with, please? Well, it sort of happens in the comics. It's just against his will and it doesn't go very well. There's something I want to bring up when we get to the, the scene at the end as well. Another one of the shorts that's on one of the other Blu-rays. The Consultant. Yes, which I think a, that's a, a very good little one for tying it into the Avengers. Yeah. Explain it to the audience if they haven't seen it. Agent Coulson, who's been in two Iron Man movies, wasn't it? You see and him and another agent saying that the World Security Council wants Blonsky for the Avenger initiative. And they've got to send somebody in. They don't want Blonsky, so... It didn't go well, did it? No, it did not. Did they reject the initiative? Of course not. But they made the most idiotic, ill-conceived request imaginable. They want Blonsky on the team. The abomination. They really don't like when you call them that. What about the Harlem incident? They're pinning that on Banner. On Banner? Not the guy you want to make angry. They consider Blonsky a war hero. They want him exonerated, released, and then added to the roster. They think we have. What's your clearance level? <laughs> That's funny. It's level six. Like you. Come on, there's a level seven. Blonsky's in custody in General Ross's sector. Does Director Fury even want Blonsky? Of course not, but he can't ignore an explicit directive from the World Security Council. So we have to make sure he doesn't have to. How the hell are we going to do that? I have no idea. 
But we have to send a liaison to the general within 24 hours. So on the council's orders, we have to send one of our people down to General Ross to ask for Blonsky, who we don't even want. Exactly. I got it. We sent a patsy to sabotage a debriefing. A patsy? Yes. Someone to screw it up. Someone so inept that General Ross will refuse to release Blonsky. I could do it. I do a great patsy. Yes, you do. Your patsy's legendary. In fact, when I think of the word patsy... All right. You know, I'm thinking for this we need a slightly different skill set. If we want the general to refuse this request, then we have to send someone who will truly annoy him. Someone arrogant and abrasive with an utter disdain for authority. Someone who will offend the general to his very core. You're talking about the consultant. No, I'm not. You just described him to a team. I'm telling you right now, stop it. I am not calling the consultant. Mmm, smells stale beer and defeat. You know, I hate to say I told you so, General, but that super soldier program was put on ice for a reason. I've always felt that hardware was much more reliable. Stark. General. You always wear such nice suits. Touche. Here you have an unusual problem. You should talk. You should listen. abomination will remain in his cage for now apparently the consultant outdid himself ross got so mad he tried to have him removed from the bar how did that go over stark bought the place it's scheduled for demolition on thursday one touch in the in the film that i did really like we've kind of mentioned but not gone into was the incident counter the other days since yes. last incident and especially towards the end when that kicks kicks over you know it's it's been counting up and then just suddenly drops to zero mm. at the end of the film i thought that was a really nice touch of just keeping track of how long things are taking i do like the fact that he uh, uh turns into hulk in rio and then wakes up in guatemala yes mm. <laughs> and the giant purple pants as well <laughs> <laughs> that was and don't don't make him hungry <laughs> you wouldn't like me don't when i make me hungry hungry you wouldn't like me when i'm hungry Betty's a difficult one in this because I I've read Betty in the Ultimates I've read Betty in the comics I've read I've seen Betty in on screen and I've seen Betty in this I can't get a bead on her character she's different every time That's yeah the thing. people change her so much to suit because the only reason she's really there is to affect Bruce Banner and the Hulk hmm. she's Anne Darrow in King Kong she's there to be the beautiful lady that that Hulk is stilled for that the kills the beast. Yeah, she, that is the, probably the, a very big weakness of the Betty character in general, that she's just sort of used however the writer wants. There's no real... Yeah. You don't really get a sense of it that she... You know, she's not like a Catwoman or something that has a clear character with goals and in, in dreams. That they missed entirely for the Catwoman film. <clears throat> there's, only, there's only really two reasons she's there. It's the, it's the connection between Banner and Ross. And Liv Tyler, who my really do think is luminous in this, no matter what you say about her being breathy, uh, does manage to encapsulate that sense that she is what the Hulk needs to calm the hell down and to focus himself. So at the end when Bruce actually does manage to, uh, by uh, doing yoga and various other techniques, control the Hulk and actually start to transform on purpose, 
there's this notion that he's making progress and that Betty was part of that. Uh, and it's definitely an action film, this, with a sort of a, 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 an almost spy movie-style chase scenario. I'm, I'm struggling to think of how I would have been able to reintroduce uh, The Incredible Hulk to theatre audiences better. I think ultimately they pin down the Hulk as he is in the heads of most people, only he's a bit less green. But I think they were trying to avoid making him like unnaturally green like the Ang Lee version. And can we just mention it? You wait the whole movie, but when he says it, you can't help but grin and go, yes! Hulk! Smash! Oh, yes. And the fact that they included the thunderclap as well, that's another yeah. geek out moment where just the thunderclap to put the fire out. It's like, yes! And the fight with Blonsky as well is really mm. you know, gruesome. <laughs> they got away with it. But, I mean, he pulls out his elbow bones yeah. and stabs him with them. Um, they got away with it because it's monster on monster, monster. violence, mm-hmm. which yeah. you can get away with a lot more in, in films. But it works. I mean, that's the kind of as much as I, you know, I'm not convinced with the CG. The fight is good fun, and it yeah. is exactly what you want it to. What you, it's the fight you expect in a movie called The Incredible Hulk. It is yeah. two big monsters having a serious throwdown. It is both incredible and hulking. I, I really do like the design of the abomination in this as well mm. because they've taken into the fact that he's actually had the the injection into his, um, his bone marrow so his yeah. bones are essentially what grew first and grew out of him yeah it's a ooh, it's a hideous it, it really is hideous hence abomination and it works so well Dr. David Banner searching for a way to tap into the hidden strengths that all humans have. Then an accidental overdose of gamma radiation alters his body chemistry. And now when David Banner grows angry or outraged, a startling metamorphosis occurs. The creature is driven by rage and pursued by an investigative reporter. Mr. McGee, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. The creature is wanted for a murder he didn't commit. David Banner is believed to be dead. And he must let the world think that he is dead until he can find a way to control the raging spirit that dwells within him. The Incredible Hulk was a live-action TV show which ran for five series and 82 episodes from 1977 to 1982, then three made-for-TV movies in 1988. The Return of the Incredible Hulk, The Trial of the Incredible Hulk, and The Death of the Incredible Hulk, in which Hulk returned, was put on trial, and then died. It starred Bill Bixby as Dr. David Banner and Lou Ferrino as the Hulk. Show developer Kenneth Johnson wanted the Hulk to be coloured red rather than green because red is perceived as the colour of rage and is also more of a human colour. However, Stan Lee said that the Hulk's colour was not something that could be changed because of its iconic image. Grey Hulk says hi. Red Hulk says hi. The show was kind of a cross between Kung Fu and the Littlest Hobo, with Banner wandering America meeting good-hearted small-town folk who were often troubled by hoodlums and unsavoury types. Banner would attempt to help them, but by the end of the episode he'd have to hulk out, punch through a balsa wood door, rip off a car door, throw a door at a guy. It was mostly door-based. 
One of the chief issues in retrospect was how little this show tied in with Marvel continuity. There was no Betty, no Thunderbolt Ross, no Rick, no Abomination, no Absorbing Man, no Leader, no supervillains of any kind. Only the Hulk. And a mostly uncaring world riddled with pockets of solace for Banner to find. The makers were limited by the technology and standards of the times as to what they could translate from comic book pages to screen, and also they wanted to make it more realistic. So in the TV movies, when they did try to throw in Marvel guest stars, the results were pitiful. Witness the Renaissance Fair Thor in The Incredible Hulk Returns, and the Dread Pirate Roberts they brought in to play Matt Murdock's Daredevil during the trial of The Incredible Hulk. Both of these appearances were actually unsuccessful attempts to pitch live-action series of those two characters. They ended the show in the last TV movie by having the Hulk die after falling from a low-flying plane, a notion utterly laughable to anybody who knows the abilities of the character. The plan was actually to bring him back for another movie, or possibly another series, but Bixby died of cancer in 1993. It also had the saddest music of any TV show, accompanied by the perennial shot of Banner hitchhiking to his next destination and clinging to the faintest wisp of a hope that he may someday find a cure. What the 2008 Incredible Hulk film taps into is the tragedy and isolation of Bruce as he travels continuously, always trying to keep the Hulk at bay. The Culver Institute comes from the show, as does the manner in which Banner first becomes the Hulk, right down to the target on his head. The green eyes at the moment of transformation, which are a recurring motif in this film, are also straight out of the TV series. There is a thematic thread throughout both the film and the show that Banner and the Hulk are respectively Dr. Victor Frankenstein and his creation, with many lingering shots of this pitiful monstrous creature as unable to find a comfortable place in this world as Banner himself. But both of them ultimately find a purpose in helping others. In the TV show, this usually means seeing off small-town mobsters, and in the film, with its immense budget and blockbuster audience, it comes down to an almighty ruck with a gamma-powered behemoth in the centre of Manhattan. Hulk taps into our existential isolationism as an adult, seeing the world as something we are separate from, and people as uncaring strangers, cruel antagonists, or merciful Samaritans. It also appeals to our inner toddler, an unchecked ball of emotion and frustration which expresses itself in a catharsis of smashing things. This is one of the key reasons little kids love the Hulk. He seems initially very frightening, the figurehead of paternal anger that terrifies them, until they realise that he's just like them, just like us. Hulk doesn't have a parent to guide him, to soothe his pains and tell him when he's crossed the line, or crucially, he has nobody strong enough in will or physicality to be able to put him on the naughty step to calm himself down. That's why Betty is so very crucial in this film. She's the accepting mate for Bruce, taking him in her arms in spite of the monster within, and she's the figurehead of maternal calm and unconditional love to the Hulk. The port that both Banner and the Hulk yearn for in this unending storm. Ross is representative of an exploitative and traumatising father figure, forever hounding the two of them, the three of them, and in absolutely every case making things worse and the Hulk's rage deepen. That is of course until Bruce manages to take charge of the situation and assumes the much needed role of guide to the Hulk, replacing this toxic parent and finding some sense of peace and purpose. So yes, I like The Incredible Hulk.
Next week we will be talking about Iron Man 2. And we've already done the episode. And we've already recorded it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I can tell you right now. It was a good one. It was fun. Although we Time did... Time travel. Uh, <laughs> although... to the loss on that one as well. <laughs> we were, I would like to be honest, we were distracted by Scarlett Johansson about halfway through that recording. We are red-blooded males. That is not un- <laughs> unlikely. We're out. We are red-blooded males. That is not... I'm sorry, I'm distracted by Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, gentlemen, for coming on. We'll see you folks later. I've been Alex Shaw. You've been listening to Digital Gonzo and Avengers Assemble. Pushing us into self-destruction